I want to... Uh, I want to look at a passage of scripture with you that you're going to, oh boy, I've seen this before. And, uh, but I want you just to kind of pretend you haven't, okay? Can we play a game? And pretend you've not seen it before. Pretend these are new words, you've never heard them before. And, uh, and let, let's just see what, what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us. Uh, one of the things that I think are really, really important for us to understand is when you think of Jesus, and we just celebrated him becoming flesh, the God who spoke the world into existence, somehow squeezing all of who he was into a six or seven or eight or five pound little Nazarene baby, and um, all of God in this. And, And then he grew up weak. He grew up without any advantage, and yet he grew up and he was going to change the world. And, and he did it in a way that no one had ever done before. And he, he came and, uh, and he, he grew up and, and then he had some disciples around him. And then we started to hear as those, those apostles were listening to him teach what he had, was teaching. And what was he teaching? Remember who he was. He was the God who created the world. He was the God who created the universe And he was going to teach everybody how things work. How marriages work, and how the environment work, and how relationships work. And he called it the kingdom of God. He spoke of the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, 86 times. And he spoke of church two times. Put the dots up there. 86 times he said, the kingdom of God is this, the kingdom of God is that, the kingdom of heaven is this. And, uh, and he, what he was saying is, a kingdom has a king. He was the king. And so the kingdom of God is how everything works when he gets his way. It's how your marriage works, it's how this church works, it's how the environment works, it's how society works, it's how everything works. When Jesus gets his way, the kingdom is coming. Now, we need to sort of take a step back here a little bit because I think we get things mixed up sometimes. And the dot there, kind of all by itself, those two little dots, the church, sometimes we spend way too much time talking about the church and not about the kingdom. Because the church can become an idolatrous, powerless thing when it focuses on itself. But when the church focuses on the kingdom of God and becomes this open-handed vessel for the kingdom of God, then it becomes a powerful thing, a world-changing thing, a community-changing thing, a life-changing thing. When the church of Jesus Christ doesn't focus itself upon itself, but focuses itself upon the mission that the king has then the church has, is in the place for the Holy Spirit of God to do incredible things, miracles, crazy stuff happening when, when a church lives like that. And this was the message of Jesus. 86 times he goes, the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of God is like this, 86 times, and his disciples didn't get it. They didn't get it at all because the way the world works is a contrary 180 degree most of the time to what the kingdom of God is. Some of us go, you know, is is the kingdom of God more right wing or more left wing? It's neither. 
It's his own species. It's something that's altogether different because it's not how we think. Because our fallen nature goes against the kingdom of God and the instincts of the kingdom of God most often. And so, let, let, the, the disciples went and they were listening. And then Jesus died and we celebrate that. But he didn't stay dead, did he? He rose again, <laughs> and then he went, and he gathered his disciples, and we get a new book in the Bible called Acts. So 86 times, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, then Acts shows up, and look at verse 3. The book opens up this way, and he presented himself alive after them, after his sufferings by many proofs, many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, 40 days Jesus with his disciples, and he spoke about what? The kingdom of God. Guys, you weren't getting it. I know you weren't getting it. You were a bit bewildered by everything I was saying for three and a half years. Now look what it is. And for 40 days, he concentrated on this is why, how the universe works. You don't think it, but it is. And when you live in alignment with the kingdom of God, you will experience the power of the creator in everything. And this assignment that I'm about to give you in a few verses later down, verse 8, <laughs> where you're going to be my witnesses on the whole world, is only going to make sense when you understand that, that the church that is going to be started is going to be started because it is the fruit of the kingdom. It's not the goal of the kingdom. The goal of the kingdom is glorifying the king. And the church is God's people gathered together, giving themselves away to worship that king. You see the preaching of the apostles through the book of Acts. It's, they started churches. I, I've given my whole life to starting churches and pastoring churches. Is all I've ever done. I believe in the church. The church is, is God's agency for what he wants to do. But you don't see the apostles preaching about the church. <laughs> Look at how the book ends. Chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. For two whole years... Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him, and boldly and without hindrance, what did he do? Preached the kingdom of God, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I like, what I like about your pastor, is he gets this. The church, as an insular institution, has no power. The church, as an open-handed organism for God to work through, has life-changing power. And, uh, and so we're start talking about missions this week. Sometimes a church spends a long time trying to come up with a mission statement. You don't need to come up with a mission statement. Jesus has a mission. But does he have a church for that mission? That's the question. He has a mission. It's that every nation on earth will bend their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. But does he have a church that would open itself and give itself away to accomplish that mission? So, I asked you at the beginning, if you'd kind of just imagine you'd, we're, we're, we're approaching a passage of scripture like you've never seen it before. Because I'm going to give you one you maybe many of you memorize. Very simple. It's found in Luke chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to it? If you've got a red letter edition, you've got red letters here. This is 100 proof Jesus. This is absolutely Jesus 
And um, if, if you, your mind's eye can make me disappear, make me disappear, and in your mind's eye, see Jesus saying these words. Verse 18. And then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? He knows. It's a rhetorical question. What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man planted in his garden, and it grew, and it became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in his branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? And he said, it's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked its way through the whole dough. Now, (laughs) these few verses here tell us more than we ever need to know to live the Christian life. And... uh, and if you'll just work with me as we, as we look at this thing and just go, okay, do we believe him in these things? And if we do, I tell you what, your life won't be the same. If you believe what Jesus is saying, your life won't be the same. And the first thing we see is that in the kingdom of God, small is powerful. Small is powerful. Now, some of you here, I'm guessing all of us here feel small. There's some of us that have delusions of grandeur. I won't include you. But the rest of us here probably feel inadequate in, in lots of areas. We, in, you, you name a category, and, um, and we compare ourselves to others in that category, and we are not the best. We can come up with a whole list of people who are better in every category than we are, right? So Jesus says, what's the kingdom of God like? He goes, it's like a mustard seed, and... Now, it's interesting because this is days before microscopes and atoms and molecules and stuff. But Jesus took the smallest thing they were familiar with. And it was just a little black speck of dust, black mustard. And, uh, and he says, this is it. This is the kingdom of God right here. Now, this is, this is a shocking idea when you think about this. This is the most powerful agency on earth is this little tiny speck of dust. And the illustration is a great illustration that Jesus used because this little tiny microscopic step, uh, speck would, would be planted. He said a man planted it in, in the garden. And it would lay dormant for years. And the right conditions would have to come. It would have to be the right amount of moisture, the right amount of heat. And when those right conditions came, this thing would grow, and it would grow to be nine feet tall. And so Jesus was saying, nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw that, and this is what the kingdom of God is. It is absolute weakness, smallness that is buried and allowing God to do whatever miracle God wants to do in that weakness. And this is, the, this is what we see all throughout Scripture. We see this metaphor over and over, like, a lot of times, and I, <laughs> I, I sometimes get myself in trouble, but have you ever done a spiritual gift inventory? Probably, if you did at this church, say no. <laughs> but <laughs> because you know, the charismatics back in the 60s and 70s had this cool thing going on. They had all kinds of spiritual gifts happening. And, and us Baptists were a little bit jealous. And... Um, 
We, we wanted our own thing, and uh, we couldn't come up with it, so we asked Lifeway to do it for us. And uh, <laughs> So Lifeway came up with some tests for us, you know, and, uh, and so you, you get a little sterile piece of computer paper, and, um, and they'll ask, ask 200 questions. And in situation A, would you more likely one, two, or three? Oh, definitely three. Situation two, would you one, two, or three? Oh, two. Oh, and, and you do 200 of those, and then you, uh, you know, put it into the computer algorithm, and, uh, and it comes back, and lo and behold, there it is, instantly, presto, you have a spiritual gift. And... Um, Yeah, we laugh, right? It's so silly, but we keep doing it. And uh, my spiritual gift came back, Pastor, and says, I'm an accountant. I mean, uh, a gift of administration, and I'm an accountant, and I don't want it. Because that's what I have to do nine to five all the time. <laughs> spiritual gift cut, Pastor comes back, says, I'm a teacher, and I don't want to be a teacher because I'm a teacher. I don't want to be running those kids in Sunday school all day long. I want something spiritual. I want something that shows God's power working in my weakness. And you know what? That's what a spiritual gift is. It is not any part of your human personality. It most often correlates to the meta-narrative of Scripture, which is weakness. That's the the narrative of Scripture. You see it over and over and over again. God uses weak people. And... uh, and so when you have a, a weakness and you, you, you um, hear the Spirit of God speaking to your heart and giving you this idea of faith, this gift of faith to take a step in your weakness, in the direction that God has been leading you, and then you see something happen. And it wasn't you, and you know it wasn't you. You, you people say, great job, and it's quick for you to say, man, it really wasn't me. I had no idea how that happened. Right place, the right time. And, um, and then you look backwards, and you see, huh, number of times the Spirit has spoken to my weakness, and I've taken a step of faith, and I've obeyed Him in that step of faith, and oh, I've seen power happen in my life. Maybe that's a spiritual gift. You don't know your spiritual gift until you know your weakness and God speaks to your weakness and you take a step of faith in your weakness and you experience his strength. See, we get this backwards. We have the, the, our reputation as evangelicals is a dumpster fire right now because we think we got to be strong. We think we got to win a culture battle. We think that somehow we have to somehow use our strengths to somehow convince everybody to think like we think. And if we do that, you know what's going to happen? Eventually, everything's just going to come back to us. Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. His way was never to take earthly ideas and somehow say, somehow put Christianity behind it and let that be our cause. His way was weakness. And let's see people be confounded in the power made manifest in human weakness and see what happens. So this is what the kingdom of God is like. You look through history. Whenever the church has been in power, the kingdom of God was not advancing. But you look around the world right now to see where the kingdom of God is advancing like crazy. It's in the places where the church is in weakness. 
It has no human assets. It has no abilities. It just has a faith and an obedience to listen to the voice of Jesus Christ and see what God is doing and go with him there and see what happens. So, in kingdom of God, small is powerful. What shall I compare it to? It's like a singular mustard seed that a man took and planted in his garden. Here's a second thing we see. Not only is small powerful, but an uninvested faith is desertion. Let that sink in a little bit. Think about the scripture, Jesus' teaching. Maybe the parable of talents. Lots he taught on this. And, uh, and the gift that God has given us. What is he expecting from it? He's expecting return, isn't he? He is expecting that one day we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and the question is going to be asked... How did you steward this thing I invested in you? And for us to say, I was busy, I was, you know, there's lots of people better than me, um, whatever excuse that we have, it's not, it's not going to sound that great, I don't think, to the one who gave everything for us. What did you do? You know, <laughs> I planted a church in, in Toronto, and our, our idea was we had no money and we had no people. And we weren't going to plant with Christians. We, I planted several times before, and I said, this next church, we're only going to do evangelism. We're going to start planting by evangelism. And, uh, and we, we had a mission statement that said, a growing group of friends giving ourselves away to advance the kingdom of God. And those three ideas, we hung everything on. Growing group of friends giving ourselves away to advance the kingdom of God. We made a vow. I asked church planters, I meet with hundreds of them every quarter, and I asked church planters, to make, do, go back and make a similar kind of vow with their, their team that they will not own a person or they will not own a dollar. It's God's people and it's God's money. And the only question that we ask is a steward's question is how do we invest it? And so we made a commitment that we were going to plant this church and it was, going to, it was starting on uh, September 9th, 2001. We didn't know two days later planes were going to fly into a building. And um, we asked God for the privilege of this church planting 25 churches across the greater Toronto area by 2020. And then we would teach those planters how to plant, and if God's Spirit would blow on that thing, who knows what might happen. And, uh, and we, we, we did that. We had our very first worship service Sunday, September 9th, Monday, September 10th, we had a, a meeting, and um, the, uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of my guys were gathering, were talking about everything and how things went, what we changed. And, uh, and one guy gets a phone call, and it was an Iraqi pastor in Toronto who was planting a church, and they were building a building, and they got, I don't know exactly, hooked up with a loan shark, it sounded like to me, and they had to have $5,000 by the end of business day that day, or they're going to lose their investment. And he was just desperate. And, uh, and so I said to the guy in charge of our finances, I said, how much money do we have? And he went and looked up on his laptop. He goes, we got exactly $5,000. And I knew what God was saying. <laughs> and so September 10th, 2011, we gave all our money to an Iraqi. And, um, and then some planes went into a building. 
and my whole sermon series that I was about to preach went out the window. And uh, the next Sunday, I showed a picture of the Iraqi man who was, during the first Gulf War, was on uh, a captain, a colonel in Saddam Hussein's army. But he was of Chaldean descent. And when, uh, when the first war was over, because he, wasn't, he, he, was, he was Chaldean, he was persecuted, and he had to go to Greece, in, to Athens, in a refugee camp. And then he stayed there for a while, and then he was brought over to Toronto. And a friend of mine led him to Christ. And a friend of mine said, helped him, and he ended up planting a church there in that, that area here. So we just gave, <laughs> we just gave our... Uh, our, our, our money to a former terrorist who was uh, now uh, you know, planting, planting a church. He was in charge of a munition factory that built scatter, scatter bombs. I got a whole other story on that. But uh, I was teaching our church something. Said, you know, we're, we're, we're broke, <laughs> but that's okay because God is going to provide. And, uh, and we're a growing group of friends giving ourselves away to expand the kingdom of God. And so we continue to reach people. We continue to deploy them to start new churches, continue to reach people, deploy, deploy to start new churches, and see that th- this thing was going to happen. See, this is what the kingdom of God is. He says it's like a mustard seed that a man took and he invested. He had put it planted in the garden. And then we see a third principle. Not only is the kingdom of God uh, small, in his, in his, but is powerful. And not only is the king, in the kingdom of God an uninvested faith, absolute desertion, but in the kingdom of God, when you experience grace, you give grace. He said, the last phrase Jesus says, and it wasn't just a parenthetical thought because he had to fill up time. He said it was this mustard seed that was planted in the garden, grew to be this tree, and the birds of the air found their home there. See, that's the principle here. When we experience God's grace, we're under obligation to be a dispenser of God's grace. There isn't, if we understand anything about who Jesus is, there is no other, other answer than that here. I could, I could follow that whole story up in Iraq. And um, we had a guy come up to me, and I was, <laughs> Salam, he came up to me and he said, Jeff, there's about to be a new war in Iraq. He goes, countries are going to send soldiers. Is the kingdom of God going to send any soldiers? He kept saying that. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, will you go with me to Iraq? And he had not been to Iraq since he fled it. And um, 14 years previous. And I go, uh, we'll pray about it, meaning no. And, um, <laughs> and so I'm in a meeting with pastors. And, uh, and the one pastor said, do you have any, uh, it was about a dozen of us, do you have anything you want to pray about? And I saw Salam there. I'm just being honest. Uh, I said, well, you know, Salam wants us to pray about whether we should go to Iraq. I wasn't even, I just trying to acknowledge he was there and that was an elephant in the room. And... Um, and he goes, okay, let's pray. But this pastor did something that doesn't usually happen. He said, let's get on our knees and pray. All right, on our knees and praying. My cell phone starts buzzing. Now, I know the rules of prayer. When you ignore the phone when you know, you're talking to God. But especially when you ask for the prayer request. And, uh, but I was selling my house, and I knew there was an offer coming in. <laughs> so I said, I'm just going to get this. Grabbed my phone, went out into the back room, shut the door, answered it, Hello? 
there's a friend of mine named Bob Roberts. He goes, Jeff, um, you, you sitting down? I go, what? He goes, are you sitting down? He goes, I got two dates. Can you make it? One is at the UN to meet with John Brenner to talk about uh, what, what's going to happen in the reconstruction of Iraq. And two is I want you to go and meet the new uh, uh, ambassador from the United States to Iraq. I go, what? <laughs> How did he know what was going on? I'm serious. I went back to the room, back to the circle, the prayer circle. I said, guys, stop praying. <laughs> I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I think I, I, think I got this one. Long story short, uh, we ended up going there and ended up, oh, I could tell all day about what, how God used. But we found a church that was giving itself away like crazy. And, um, and they had a three-floor thing where top floor was catacombs, windowless rooms where converted Muslims coming to faith were being trained to be pastors. Middle floor was a uh, worship, and bottom floor was a seminary that they taught him, taught him in. And, uh, and he goes, you know, in Iraq, the Christians weren't ghettoized, very secular country, and so Christians are interspersed everywhere. He goes, everyone's hungry, no one's got food, 60% unemployment when this war started. And, uh, and if we can feed people in the name of Christ, I don't know what's going to happen. We knew we found our job. And so we began to mule in dollars. <laughs> we, couldn't, we couldn't wire them in because whoever picked up the wire at the end of the day would be shot. So we had to literally smuggle in money so they could buy food to feed people in the name of Christ. And I'd love to tell you how that story ends, but I can't because they were bombed. And, uh, and they were scattered, and, and I have not heard. But we put a missionary in there from our church, and they, she, distrib- she was the one dis- distributing all of that. And, uh, and this is what the kingdom of God is, that when you receive, you say, God, what is it? What do you want? And you expect him to speak. And when he speaks, you don't say, I'll have to think about it like I did. You, you obey him, and, and, and you trust him. So... In the kingdom of God, grace extends beyond the, cra- the graced. And we see a fourth picture of the kingdom of God. And that is, in the kingdom of God, and this should be helpful for all of us, status is irrelevant. Jesus says, what else shall I compare it to? He says, it's like, a, it's like yeast that a woman took. Now, when I think of yeast, I think of a little yellow can my mom used to use for making bread and stuff like that, little, little kernels of dry things inside this little yellow can. That's not what Jesus was thinking. Jesus was thinking about what happened in the 70s called monster dough or friendship dough. Do you remember that thing? It's like this, this dough that was infected. Right? It, was, had this, it had this thing growing inside it, and, uh, and you would break off a piece, and, and you know, if you were at church and you didn't lock your doors, you'd find it in your, in your car. And... Uh, and this monster door would go, dough would go from place to place to place. And everywhere it touched, because it kept growing and growing, everything it touched, it changed. You'd put other flour and other things beside it, but it could not stand against the friendship dough, the monster dough, because of the yeast that was inside this thing it was invisible and nobody could see it, but everything changed that it touched. That's the church of Jesus Christ living the kingdom of God. It looks, we look like everybody else, 
But we don't rest on our strengths. We don't rest on our bank accounts. We don't rest on our dollars. We don't rest on our numbers. We take our knowledge that we are outnumbered, outgunned, outclassed, out everything. But we have a God who is able. And we say, I take my weakness, God, and you have spoke to me. And in faith, I'm going to believe you. And I'm going to trust you. And I take that step. And I get to see the monster to work. (laughs) I get to see what God does. This is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God status is irrelevant. You know, Stephen Roy, I guess that's how you say it in English, right? You're way better. Wah, wah. Related to Patrick Wah? No. Maybe. Montreal Canadian goalie, awesome guy. Um, in, in, in Quebec, it's the darkest place in, in North America. The most missiologists are saying about half of 1% evangelized. Half of 1%. There's no place, even in Europe, that's kind of looking at numbers like that. And, um, and, and in Quebec, evangelicals are seen as a cult. If you take sort of an idea that... Am I being recorded? Oh, I won't give that illustration. Um, You take the idea of of a a cult that we would experience here and um, and sort of how people look down on them. You could take that and multiply that by 10 of how an evangelical is perceived in Quebec. Kind of not welcome. And um, in the the 80s, uh, there was a guy named Claude Hood who was a... He was preaching in little churches, raising his own support and preaching in these little Quebecois churches. And there are 30 people, there are 50 people, there are 75 people. And he was encouraging them and he was sharing the gospel. And he was doing this for years and years. And, uh, and then a church in New England called him to be his, their pastor. And he began to sort of pray about that. And um, at some point sensed, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe this is where I go. And while he was thinking about it, he gets this phone call out of the blue from David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson calling this little guy in Quebec. And, uh, and he goes, God, I just want to share something with you. He goes, you're in a hard place. I know you know that. And you might think it'd be easier if you're in English-speaking Canada or you're in the United States. But uh, I just have a word for you. Stay in Quebec. Suffer in Quebec. Pay the price in Quebec. Because God's going to do something through your life that you would have not dreamed. Huh. He and his wife talk about that. They put the phone down. I guess they put the phone down, then they talked about it. And, and then they called the church in New England, said, not coming. And, uh, and he continued to preach in his little churches. And then he had this idea, well, maybe I should plant a church. And uh, so he takes a personal loan, buys a photocopier, and, um, and puts out flyers and invites people. And he starts leading people to Christ. And they rent this little community center. And, uh, and, and he's, this church is growing through evangelism. And, uh, and at one point, the worst, most paralyzing ice storm in the history of Montreal kills Montreal. And, uh, and people are languishing everywhere. They can't move. They're stuck. They can't. And, uh, and so he used the community center and his people to serve. And there was housing people. He was feeding people. And the news media got hold of that. 
said, look at, look at this evangelical church and what it's doing because nobody else is, is serving like these people here. And all of a sudden, things started being repositioned in the minds of some Montrealers. And uh, I got to preach at his church this last Sunday. You know how many were there? Or not this last Sunday, this last fall. You know how many were there? 4,000 people. And that church has started churches. And those churches that have, that have started churches. And God, if you look at all the hard places in North America, I think God's best work is happening in Montreal. And, uh, and yet, yet, it's maybe one of the darkest, darkest places. This is what the kingdom of God is. Status is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you got the biggest or the best or anything. God's going to do what God wants to do through people who have open hearts and open hands and obedient. Final thing. In the kingdom of God, <laughs> influence is viral. This is what Jesus says. Remember that picture of the woman who had no status and this yeast that, you know, to a Jewish mind was considered unclean. This is what Jesus said was the very nature of the kingdom of God. It worked and it worked and it worked and it worked and it worked. I think we've spent long enough in our strengths. I think we have spent long enough looking at other people and other churches that are stronger than ours and saying, maybe they can do it. When we look at the nature of the assignment that Jesus has given his church, the Bible says, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those, which ones? Whose hearts are completely his. God is looking for weak people. Weak people whose hearts are completely his. And then they get to live in the succession, the narrative succession that we see in scripture. A weak person after weak person after weak person after weak person who confounded everybody and changed the world. That is what God is looking for. I'm going to close with one last story. And this one is deeply personal to me because it's my, my mom and dad. I got a picture of them up here. This is them around 1967. I was a toddler. And my, I had a sister. We were just little ones. And um, my dad worked for Molson's Brewery. His job was cleaning the beer vats. And uh, he had a grade 8 education. If you go to northern Saskatchewan, you go to North Dakota and Montana and go six hours north to the end of the road, that's where, where it was. And um, there was one movie theater in the town and they were going to go on a date. And so they hired a babysitter to look after my sister and I, one of our neighbors, and, uh, and they were going to go to a date in one movie theater playing one movie. <laughs> they got there and they got ready to pay for their movie like you would and they found out it was free. Free. Ah, okay. So they went into the movie, and they didn't know, but it was Billy Graham's first movie. And uh, it was called The Restless Ones. There was a, a scene in that movie where there was a man and a woman in a convertible car with a top down. And, uh, and the radio turned on, and they were listening to the radio, Billy Graham preaching, giving an invitation to come to Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit was speaking in there, to them. And my dad reaches over and squeezes my mom's hand. They remember kind of holding each other's hands during that minute. And, uh, and then the movie came to an end, and the lights came on bright, which doesn't normally happen. And a man in a suit came up and came up to the very front and started talking. 
this is kind of strange to them, and issued an invitation to respond to Jesus Christ, to ask for forgiveness and experience God's grace in their life. They looked at each other, and other people were looking at each other, and then he stood up there for a while, and he went and sat down, and everyone left, and they went to their parking lot in the Volkswagen Beetle they had, and they started talking about what just happened. And in their Volkswagen Beetle, they repented of their sins and gave their life to Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God invaded them. And they were never the same after that. And this spiritual hunger in my dad and my mom, they found this little Baptist church plant that was part of Henry Blackaby's church that started, and you read about his experience in God. And, uh, and, and we were part of that church, and we were all baptized, you know, years later. And, and then this, this thing, um, this church saw, saw its job as every town and every village and every city needs to have a place to hear the gospel. And so we were discipled to grow up and share our faith and start small groups and, uh, and, and, and see people come to Christ. And that was how we were discipled. We thought that was normal. And, uh, and so we went there, and you fast forward this story, 35 years, and my dad had long quit Molson's Bury, and he, he got his welding ticket, and he started a welding shop, and it became a successful thing, and he was invited to, uh, to be on the steering committee to bring a Franklin Graham, Billy Graham crusade into Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. It was going to be the only time those two guys were going to be doing this thing together. And, uh, and so there was this big major uh, hotel auditorium and there's round tables everywhere and uh, my dad mostly preacher types my dad was a businessman and um tradesman and uh and the guy gets behind the pulpit and he says okay i'm going to have before we get into business i just like to have a time of testimony why don't you share when god how god has used your life or touched your life through the ministry of the grahams my dad's heart starts pounding and he knew it was obedience time. He hated speaking in public. He was the first up. He got behind the pulpit and he shared the story. And um, about the movie and the babysitter and the kids. And goes that one little girl, her and her husband are right now in Chile. There's missionaries starting churches all throughout the Andes Mountains. And that little boy... It started a number of churches in Canada, and he's in Toronto right now, and this last church has started lots of churches out of it. I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of people are in the kingdom right now because Hell and I went to the movie that day. And he went and sat down, people started clapping. The next guy gets up, and he's an old, old, old guy. And he shuffles his way not to the podium, but to my dad, and he's weeping. And he embraces my dad, and he says, Alan... My name is Tom Dice. I'm a businessman. And I put that movie on. And I got up for two weeks every day and issued an invitation. And not one person responded in two weeks. And I thought it was a failure. And he's just weeping. And he's hugging my dad. He goes, well, praise the Lord. I can see. Tom Dice's passed away. My dad has passed away. They're each high-fiving each other right now, telling the story. 
See, every once in a while, we get to look under the curtain of eternity and see what our obedience has accomplished. But most of the time, we don't. Claude Hood will take you to his church, and he's got pictures on the walls in his church of people who have suffered in Quebec, persecuted and imprisoned in Quebec, pastors, leaders, missionaries, who were absolutely saw nothing. And, he, and Claude t- brings new church planters by them and tells their story and says, we're standing on their shoulders. You see, God says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And you plant that mustard seed and it stays in the ground for a year or two or three. You might never see what happens of that thing. But you know what? It ain't your job. Your job is to say, I have this amount of years. I don't know if I'm going to get hit by a bus tomorrow or I'm going to live to be 82 and a half. But at the end of that, I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he is going to ask me, what did you do with what I gave you? And he's going to look to your weakness in the way that he wanted to work his strength through. And if you lean on your weakness as your excuse of why you couldn't be faithful, I think you're going to be be ashamed. But you can be like Tom Dice. Be obedient and not really know how it's going to work and maybe feel like a flop. But you don't know what God is doing in your life. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the men and women, boys and girls here right now, who you have been speaking to and speaking to their faith. And our flesh often rebels against that. And we find so many reasons why not to trust you. But God, today, I would pray that you would speak to the weakness of who we are. And Lord, in that weakness, you would give us the gift of faith to follow you. That we could experience your power through our weakness. And in that exchange, the world would be able to see what a great God you are. And nobody would be tempted to give us a high five for how wonderful we are because they're confounded by what has happened through weakness. Use us, Father, as we submit to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.